Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the District 3 podcast. This is episode 38. Uh, I am Manny. And my name is Irvin, and I know that we've gone the episode number wrong in the past episode. Uh, last episode, I said episode 38, but it was actually episode 37. So this yeah. is actually episode 38, and if I get it wrong, I'm going to look like a fool now after saying that. <laughs> yeah, but, get it right, Irvin. But today we have a very special guest, and we're thankful for him making the time. I know it's very... Uh, the times right now are really just stressful and, and busy, and, and uh, we really appreciate you being here. Uh, State Senator, District 4, Arkansas, Greg Letting, thank you for joining us. Happy to be here this evening. Thank you. Yeah, Greg, how, how's everything been? How, how have you been surviving uh, during your self-isolation? <laughs> well, we are certainly in no position to complain. My wife is able to do her job from home. I can do uh, pretty much everything I need to do from home. I participated in the, the recent fiscal session remotely, uh, and our four-year-old daughter is not yet in school, so we haven't had to worry about you know her missing a bunch of important work. So as, as far as that goes, things have been mostly okay. It has been tri difficult keeping her constructively occupied because we don't want to just park her in the TV all day. Yeah. Uh, there have yeah. been a few conference calls interrupted with a screaming child, but outside <laughs> of that, we've, we've been doing okay. Good, we've got good. some uh, good news today, right? We heard that uh, 287G contract is not going to be renewed by the Washington County Sheriff, which yeah. is big news. Um, there's been many community organizers and allies that have been fighting for this for many, many years now. I think now over a decade. Um, and it's good news. We know that it might not be temporary. I mean, it might not be uh, permanent. Um, it's currently temporary. They might actually look into um, renewing it next year. The, yeah. the current contract is set to expire, I believe, on the 30th of April. That's what the sheriff said. Um, the official contract that we looked at says May 30th, so I'm a little bit confused. Um, but it's a good sign that if it doesn't get renewed by the end of this month, it won't be it, it won't be able to renew it this year. But it can always come up for renewal. Uh, but it's it's a good victory to celebrate. It might be a small victory. There's still a lot of doubts, still a lot of questions to be asked. Um, but it's it's a victory, and I think it's 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 really cool to hear it right now, specifically during these times where there's just so much bad news yeah. going on. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Greg, you, you've been in Fayetteville for a long time. Do you have any kind of initial reaction from this news? Just obviously thrilled. Uh, I actually learned uh, about it from Irvin through his uh, Twitter account. Uh, I was outside playing chase with Ava and uh, happened to check and saw the news. It's obviously exciting. It is something that a lot of people have been working for a very long time, uh, trying to convince Sheriff Helder to end this program. And uh, I'm, uh, it's unfortunate that it took a global pandemic <laughs> to bring about the end of the program uh but if there are um, as urban said if there are any uh, uh silver linings right now this is this is some very welcome news during a very challenging time yeah definitely something that can lift the spirits right now um yeah. so yeah senator letting um maybe just for those that may, may not be familiar with uh, you and your work um just tell us a little bit about who you are um and how you ended up becoming a state senator uh, you initially uh, ran for state representative if you could talk about like yeah why you decided to run for state representative to begin with yeah absolutely so i uh 
native in Northwest Arkansas, born and raised in Springdale, uh, did move to Fayetteville for college, went to the university, never had any interest in politics whatsoever growing up. Uh, the only reason I paid any attention at all when I was in high school was that our governor, uh, Bill Clinton, got elected president. It's like, all right, that's interesting. Uh, but, you know, I, I wasn't a young Democrat in college or anything like that. And uh, it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that uh, my brother-in-law's, uh, at the time, he was just a really good friend. Uh, but his dad, Monty Davenport from Yaleville, Arkansas, got elected to the state house. And that was kind of interesting. And I uh, actually went down with uh, his son, my friend Cable Davenport, to uh, the Capitol to visit Monty one day. And he took us behind the scenes of the Arkansas House of Representatives. I actually got to meet uh, then State Representative Will Bond. It's now Senator Will Bond. And uh, I, I didn't at that point think that like, someday I'm going to run for office. Uh, but I think that's when I began, uh, my, my interest in public service really began to take off. Um, in 2008, I got involved with the local mayor's race and uh, learned that I really did enjoy politics, but I still saw myself as somebody who was behind the scenes. Uh, I'm an introvert, so I'm, I've always been sort of shy, uh, horrible fear of public speaking. I, I hate having my picture taken. I hate talking about myself. And you I don't seem like an introvert, money. Greg. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I've come a long way, but I, I still need my time to recharge, which is one thing that's made it difficult here with, with all three of us here at the house constantly. I haven't really had that alone time, but uh, but uh, I had a lot of fun running that mayor's race. And in early 2009, after it was over, uh, my predecessor in the Arkansas House, State Representative Lindsley Smith, and her husband Steve Smith, who also served in the Arkansas House back in the 70s. In fact, Steve Smith is still the youngest person to have ever been elected to the State House. He was 21, which is how old you have to be. So it'll be a, it'll be a tough record to beat. But uh, Lindsley was termed out, and they weren't uh, necessarily crazy about the person who had already announced. Uh, it was somebody who was well-respected in the community, great guy. Uh, it was Bill Ramsey. Um, he was well-known, well-liked, well-connected, well-funded. I was really none of those things other than, you know, hopefully I was well-liked among the small circle of friends I had, but certainly no name ID. Um, and Lindsley and Steve felt that Bill, um, as good of a guy he was, just might not be the right voice for the district and they were having trouble finding somebody to step up to run. And uh, one night Steve approached me and asked if I'd ever thought about running for the state legislature. And I was at the time still single, uh, obviously didn't have a child, uh, had a job with some flexibility. So I saw it as a personal challenge, something I could take on and be a chance to do public service. And so I ran uh, in 2010, being told pretty much the entire way that I didn't stand a chance, uh, which in some ways took some of the pressure off. Uh, but had a, a great group of friends and volunteers around me. My family was supportive, and we ended up winning that primary. So I got into the House, uh, started 2011, uh, served four terms there. It was a, an interesting period of time in Arkansas politics uh, in that Democrats had been the dominant party for well more than 100 years. And that 2010 election where I came in was the first time where the Democrats had suffered some major losses, and we would lose the majority in 2012 uh, at the same time that I became minority leader in the House. And so it's just a very interesting time to be down there as a Democrat, especially as a liberal Democrat from a very progressive community like Fayetteville. And that was District 86 that you were representing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so it's, it's just a small part of Fayetteville. It's got the University of Arkansas campus, uh, served there for uh, four terms, eight years. Never really had any ambition to run for the state Senate. Um, but in 2017, Senator Uvalde Lindsay we had a conversation about it and he sort of gave me the heads up that he and his wife were thinking that he might retire. He retired. They thought I should run for the seat and uh, talked that over with, with Emily and decided it was something that you know, if that opportunity came up, we'd do. Uh, 
Senator Lindsey did end up retiring. And so we announced for the Senate seat in June of 2017, I guess it was, and got elected in November 2018. So just wrapping up my first uh, year and a half or so in the Senate. What are, um, what are some of the differences between those two races? I mean, not between those two races, between those two positions that I've okay. been able to witness. Yeah, so the House, um, I think my heart will always belong to the House, partly just because that's where I got my start. But the House of Representatives, there are 100 members, uh, so it's a much larger group of people. It's a much larger chamber. There's just more energy. Um, because there are a lot more people, there are a lot more rules and procedures, because otherwise it'd be complete chaos. And I have found that in the Senate, uh, where there are just 35 members, um, it's a much more relaxed uh, atmosphere. It's a calmer body. There, there can still be some heated discussions, but there's just not that energy in the room that you sometimes get uh, in the House during some good debate. Um, and it's just, it's easier to develop closer relationships with a greater percentage of your colleagues in that chamber. Again, because there's just, there's 35 of you. Right now, I'm one of just nine Democrats, which a little bit of a problem. Uh, but uh, I get along well with just about every Republican in the Senate. And uh, like I said, we, today we just wrapped up this year's fiscal session. Uh, and I participated in that remotely. And it was a relatively smooth process because Republicans and Democrats were trying to work together under some pretty interesting circumstances. Um, the, the remote work, that's not something I was super familiar with. Is that something that's kind of extraordinary for what's going on right now? Or is that something that's typical in the state Senate? It's unfortunately not typical at all. There have been a few of us who have said that, you know, some of these meetings that we do where we aren't necessarily casting votes or debating legislation, we should be able to participate remotely. You could also make the argument that you'd be saving the state um, a little bit of money because you wouldn't necessarily be paying mileage and per diem for lawmakers to actually travel to the Capitol. Uh, but what we saw during the, the special session back at the very end of March, right before this fiscal session and during the fiscal session was, to my knowledge, unprecedented. Um, partly because I just, you know, years ago, I don't know that we necessarily had the technology to pull this off, but uh, we were able to uh, watch all of the proceedings online. I was able to fill out proxies and email those to staff, uh, as well as a colleague on the floor who was going to be present to, you know, to vote on my behalf and uh, able to pull it off. Now, a fiscal session is a much shorter session, uh, and we're only talking about budget items, so there's not nearly as much debate as during a regular session where you'll be talking about, you know, education policy, health policy, guns, all kinds of things. Um, I think it'd be much more difficult to pull off in a situation like that. But for a very short special session and this fiscal session, uh, I think it worked pretty well. And what's, what software do you guys use? Do you guys use Google or are you guys Zoomers? <laughs> what's, how, does it, how do you guys pull it off? Uh, it's, it's not Google quite messaging. that fancy. So the uh, beginning just last year in 2019, the Senate started live streaming all of its hearings on its website. And the yeah. House had been doing that since I'd been in the House. So I don't know what technology they're using on the back end, but I would just pull up the Senate website and watch there. And as for the proxies, um, we would just, staff would email us forms each day and I'd fill them out. And then I would email scanned copies uh, to the staff and then to Senator Keith Ingram, the minority leader. So he would have them and he could, he could vote on my behalf. It was pretty low tech. Yeah, yeah. But there's a process. There's a process. Yeah. And, and, and you know, some people would ask, well, like, how would you ask a question if you did have a question about a particular bill or something? Um, there were enough of our colleagues there on the floor that, you know, I could text, say, Senator Will Bond and say, could you ask about this? And uh, fortunately, there wasn't a big delay in the video, like with, you know, live sporting events. So it wasn't like we were always five minutes behind everybody. Uh, but that's, that's how that worked. We were still able to communicate and be a part of the process. Cool. So I know that, like, the job 
of uh, being state representative and being state senator is is really good work. You know, it's important work, but I also know it's very stressful. I know you spend a lot of time away from your family when you're having to go back and forth to Little Rock. Can you tell us a little bit about that for those that don't might not know that you have to go through that a lot to be away from your family and go to Little Rock? Can you tell us a little bit about um, your experiences with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, most of the work does take place in Little Rock at the state capitol. And uh, when we're in session for like a regular session, we start on the second Monday of January and we'll go through uh, early to mid-April. I think last year in 2019, we wrapped up, uh, I think it was actually uh, April 10th was our last day. And then we came back a couple of weeks later to officially adjourn. But our last day of work was April 10th. So that's, um, you know, more than three months of being in Little Rock, Monday through Thursday, or sometimes Monday through Friday, uh, only getting to see your families on the weekend. And as Emily, my wife, would tell you that even when I'm here on the weekend physically, I'm not always here mentally because it's, it's hard to, to pull back. And uh, so it's, it's a lot of time on the road. When we're not in session, it's, uh, it's a lot less time, uh, especially the, the longer I've been down there, the less I go. Uh, my first <laughs> couple of terms, I, I wanted to be at every meeting to learn as much as possible. So I would be down there a couple of times a week. Um, but now, you know, married, we have a child. Uh, I, I don't feel that pressure to, to it's not that I don't feel pressure to learn, but having been down there, I have learned a lot of stuff. And so I don't feel like I need to be at every meeting. Plus, I've sort of decided, you know, these are the issues that are important to me. This is where I'm going to spend my time. But it, it is a lot of time away from your family. And even when you are home, uh, you know, you, you're going to meetings, you're meeting with constituents. And so it's, uh, there's still a lot of work, even when you're not in Little Rock. And what do you, what do you, uh, since you take a lot of like, uh, since you go a long way back, I mean, go over there to Little Rock and back. Um, yeah. What do you listen to? Do you listen to music, podcast, uh, murder, murder uh, podcast? <laughs> uh, usually, I'm driving down pretty early in the morning, so I'll listen to Morning Edition on NPR to kind of get some news. Yeah. Uh, but I listen to a lot of uh, a lot of podcasts. I do try to uh, I'll listen to some political podcasts, but I try to stick to like sports or popular culture just so I can give my brain a break um, and not be not get myself too worked up as I'm driving down to Little Rock. Uh, <laughs> It, it can be, you know, a stressful situation. Yeah. So uh, I have recently, some friends have turned me on to some, some murder podcasts. Uh, My Favorite Murder is one I've been listening to a little bit lately. Uh, but I listen to a lot of Ringer podcasts and Bill Simmons. I've been following Bill Simmons now for, for quite some time. So they've got okay. some good stuff on their network. I kind of feel like going down there to Little Rock, the road is just very, like, simple that I, I believe, I, I probably guess that you're probably, like, on autopilot just – <laughs> driving back and driving forth because even, yeah. even the times that I'm over there my that I go over there myself uh which isn't very often but like maybe once or twice a month uh yeah. the road is just so so simple you can just literally put a any kind of guys listen to any music and it's just you don't even yeah. have to think. yeah plus that road that road has gotten so much better too it used to be bad yeah, we were still having to go like old highway 71 it could be a little bit more yeah. of a challenge but yeah fortunate that it is interstate all the way um, that's nice. You know, I've got colleagues that live in more remote parts of the state that they might be geographically closer, but it takes them a lot longer because they're having to take windy two-lane highways. Um, so yeah, the interstate definitely makes it an easier trip. So dur during the the actual session, where do you stay? For those, I know th I think you've told me this already before, like yeah. off podcast, but just for the for the folks that that don't know, you know, where a state senator stays. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, obviously anybody, any of the lawmakers that live in Little Rock or right around Little Rock, they're going home every evening at the end of session. But, you know, I live uh, about two hours and 45 minutes away. 
Um, so there's a building right across the street from the Capitol. It's a seven story red brick building. I believe it was originally a hotel decades and decades ago, uh, but it's now essentially a legislative dorm that's operated by the Secretary of State. Um, there are apartments in there. Um, they're not they're not furnished and there aren't like kitchens. It's really just a, a like a bedroom and a bathroom, just very basic. Mm-hmm. Um, we pay rent to the Secretary of State. Uh, there aren't quite enough rooms for every legislator who needs one, so they're assigned based on seniority. Uh, the Senate gets a certain number, the House gets a certain number, and uh, that's where I stay. Fortunately, I had high enough seniority, even as a first-term senator, to to snag a room. So, um, nice. yeah, it's convenient. It's it's uh, it's uh, <laughs> the building is probably not the safest, but uh, until the Arkansas General Assembly is is willing to pass legislation to improve renter rights, we certainly don't deserve any better. Um, and again, it is just right across the street, so it's easy to to slip over there and, and catch a quick break. Now, when you say dorm, I'm like picturing like a college dorm. Are you guys just like yeah. having dorm parties in there? <laughs> <laughs> there? There are people do socialize. I don't. Uh, I've I've never seen any kegs. That's not yeah. to say there haven't been any, because uh, there, there's definitely occasionally some social drinking. But uh, the the walls are super paper thin, and the plumbing is questionable. Uh, everybody pretty <laughs> tries to respect every other uh, everybody else's space. Um, yeah. So the, the gatherings are usually pretty quiet. Good, good, good. So you've you've uh, been state representative. You've been state senator. Have you ever yeah. thought of going for a different office? Uh, I don't think you can serve an office and not ever think about another office. Um, and it doesn't even have to be about ambition. You just you get in there. Uh, and you realize the limits of that particular office and you start thinking like, well, if I was this, I could do more. Um, but I have, uh, I don't think about it a lot. I don't think it's healthy. And, you know, again, I was somebody who never saw himself running for office, period, and then never saw himself running for state senate. It's like, uh, but cough, I also think- uh, Cough, governor, <coughs> cough, governor. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. And, then, and there are people who are kind enough to like, who have encouraged me to, to pursue higher office. And, and maybe I will someday. I mean, I just turned 42. I, I'd like to think I got quite a bit of runway left, but um, what is the age restriction for a governor, anyways? Is it thirty-five? I think you have to be thirty-five in Arkansas. I'm not one hundred percent positive. I know you have to be twenty-one to be state representative. Um, but I don't know. Um, actually, no, it, it can't be thirty-five because Bill Clinton, I believe, was like thirty or thirty-two when he was first elected. It might be. So 30. It might just be twenty-five. Yeah, or thirty. Yeah. Because um, I think he was twenty-eight when he got elected attorney general. That's, okay. That is one thing. So every governor's portrait hangs somewhere in the Capitol. And right now, uh, President Clinton's portrait hangs in the rotunda where it's just very visible. And that portrait is painted when you first get elected, right? Because they don't know how long you're going to be there, that you're going to get another term. Right. And so he was, he was like 30 or 32 when it was painted. And he looks so young. And in, in some ways, it's inspiring. And in some ways, it's so depressing. It's like, that's <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah. I was just running for the state house the first time. But uh, about the higher, I also I try not to think about higher office because I feel like that can start you down a path where you're thinking about like how you should vote or act in order to appeal to that broader group of voters. And I feel like I owe it to the people who put me in this position to focus on them. So, sure, I've occasionally thought about it, but I, I don't hold that kind of ambition and it's not something I obsess over. Great. And talking about like Bill Clinton, Greg. Um, yeah. Did you did you get inspired by him in any way, or were there any other uh, public servants that you uh, got inspiration from uh, in order to make that decision to run for office? Uh, 
I, I wouldn't say it was President Clinton that inspired me. Again, you know, I kind of followed it when he ran for president because um, that was just interesting. I never thought, you know, governor of Arkansas could get elected. Yeah. Um, but when I first started getting involved, it was more uh, people at the local level um, just being involved in that mayor's race and, and like saying that I, I ran Walt Eiler's campaign and, and we lost. But getting to know Walt and watching him work and out his ideas that he wanted to, to, to put in place to make Fayetteville a better community for everybody. Lionel Jordan, who actually won and is still mayor. Um, you know, that was, he was inspiring. My predecessor, Lindsley Smith, her husband, were inspiring people. Um, one of the first lawmakers I met who, who really got me fired up was uh, former state representative Kathy Webb of Little Rock. Um, she, we only got to serve one term together. She was in her last term when I was in my first term, but she uh, became a mentor. She was somebody I really respected and looked up to. And, uh, I know I, I started as a stronger legislator because of her. Yeah, that's, that's a really good point. I think in my personal experience, I hate seeing national politics because it's so partisan and, and yeah. it can be really, really scary. But then there's people at the local level that I feel always inspired by, you know, Urban's campaign in 2016. That was yeah. probably the first time I really paid attention to somebody locally. And then people like you, people like Representative Megan Godfrey, uh, who I yeah. see this amazing work and always inspire me. I, I think if people pay attention to local politics, which they should because it affects them the most immediately. They um, should. Yeah, they yeah. just don't. <laughs> I, was, I was in my third term in the house and still could like walk down Dixon Street, the heart of the district, and probably, you know, maybe two out of every hundred people could say, oh, you're state representative. Mm, yeah. It's just something that we don't think about. We uh, are far more focused on national politics. Um, and there's a chance that maybe we know our city council person because we've had some local city issue that we've needed to address. But um, there are people who just don't pay any attention at all to the state legislature. And that's unfortunate. Right. I totally agree. And I think, you know, if we paid more attention to our local issues, more local issues would probably get resolved. Um, yeah. And yeah. Thanks for always working on that. Yeah, just doing what I can in a, in a hostile environment. <laughs> and we appreciate it. Um, what are what are some of the bills that you've either like authored or sponsored that you've been most proud of, Greg? Uh, it's kind of hard to pick. I mean, if you're going to put your time into something, you know, they're all important to you, regardless sure. of how big they might be. Um, there are a couple. There was one my first term that ended up running. It was the Jason Flat Act. It was uh, the goal was to reduce youth suicide rates in Arkansas. At the time, and unfortunately still, we have one of the higher suicide rates in the country. Yeah. Um, so I was proud to be able to get that passed. Um, as minority leader in my second term, uh, I wasn't the one who carried the bill, but you know, we, we helped pass uh, Medicaid expansion, which is huge. And, and right now, has maybe never been more important because it's keeping a lot of rural hospitals uh, afloat. Um, the bill that I'm probably proudest of is one that I actually uh, ultimately wasn't a co-sponsor of, in my uh, third term, uh, I ran a bill to end juvenile life without parole here in Arkansas. And I was working with uh, Senator, Miss, uh, Senator Missy Irvin from Mountain View, Republican. We had worked together on human trafficking legislation in the past. Um, this was something that we both cared a lot about. And uh, I managed to get that bill to the House floor, but it failed. And this is one of the rare situations where you literally have lives hanging in the balance. Uh, there were the yeah. prisoners who... Uh, were sentenced as minors to life and were, were going to die in prison if we weren't able to get this legislation passed. So that was a very difficult thing for me. Um, in 2017, we decided we would try again. This time, Senator Irvin would take the lead and present the bill in the Senate first. Um, and it was decided early on that I would keep my name off the bill um, just for various reasons. 
decided that you know, maybe um, a Democrat running it made it politically unpalatable to uh, some of our Republican colleagues. That was a difficult thing, but obviously it's not about the credit, and especially for something like this. But I still worked with Senator Urban to try and get that legislation passed. And the biggest obstacle was Representative Rebecca Petty from Rogers. Um, she had led the charge to defeat the bill in 2015 uh, for an important reason. I mean, she has a very powerful, unfortunately tragic story. She lost her daughter to a murder. Um, and so it's just understandably a very difficult topic for her. And so in 2017, we kind of knew that we were um, going nowhere if we couldn't get Representative Petty on board. And uh, to make a very long story short, and I'm, I'm rambling here, we were able to get uh, Representative Petty into a private meeting with the mother of uh, another woman who had been brutally murdered back in the late 80s. Um, and this woman's name was Dr. Linda White. She lives in Houston. And uh, it took her some time, but she eventually formed a relationship with one of the men who had uh, brutally murdered her daughter, a uh, friendship. She came to understand the value of restorative justice, she calls it. And so she began advocating for um, these types of policies. And um, that hour that the, there were about four of us in the room had together, it's one of the most powerful hours I've had as a state lawmaker. And at the end of it, Representative Petty not only um, wanted to help us with the bill, she wanted to sponsor the bill in the House. And that was, that was really big, yeah. And without her support, it probably wouldn't have passed, but it did pass. And so now we've got people who, again, they were going to die in prison, um, but they are now free and the productive members of society. So it's, uh, it's a good thing. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. All these like intense stories that you never really hear about until you have conversations like this, you know, that and I'm, and I'm yeah. guessing there's been multiple situations like that for you where you just kind of been like, wow, like all this happened in one day oh, yeah. and you were able to accomplish this. Yeah, I mean, just there are hundreds of stories like that. And, and, and not every bill is, you know, quite that scale or, or, or whatever. Uh, but there are so many times where like one little private conversation with a colleague that maybe you've never gotten along well with or just have never really had a chance to get to know, um, and one little conversation happens, and suddenly you've got the support you need to make legislation happen. And it's uh, it's a unique working environment. I'll put it that way. Yeah, and those, I mean, huge bills, uh, stuff that you've, you've worked on and affected a lot of people's lives. I kind of want to get into the fiscal session and yeah. just open in the room because there's just no getting around it. You know, you're possibly talking about the, the most important uh fiscal session and budgetary talks um in Arkansas yeah. history potentially um yeah. so tell tell us what this moment has really been like and and uh sort of your experiences in in session right now well it's it's been dizzying i mean it was just uh five weeks ago yesterday that governor hutchinson announced the state's first known case of COVID 19. Yeah. And I believe today he confirmed uh, just over 1,600, and we've now unfortunately had 37 deaths. Um, so the fact that this hit us right before the fiscal session presented a lot of challenges. That's one reason we had to have a special session back at the end of March, was to address the fact that our state budget was going to be hit by about $353 million in the final three months of the state's fiscal wow. year. Wow. Um, it's going to make a lot of hard choices, um, but we were able to, uh, to come together and work quickly and uh, figure out what do we absolutely need to protect. Like obviously the Department of Health, pretty big and pr pretty important right now. Um, Governor Hutchinson made it clear early on that look, we just raised uh, teacher salaries. We don't wanna undo that work. So we wanna try to protect education. Um, 
but there were you know, a lot of other things that were just going to have to get cut as we deal with the, uh, the economic fallout. But uh, so we were able to wrap up this fiscal session. It normally takes about three, four weeks. We did it in just over a week, eight days. Yeah. Um, wow. So it was, it was impressive. Yeah, highly productive. I mean, and that's always interesting to hear about, you know, again, national news, you hear everything and people are very obsessed with their $1,200 checks. Yeah. Um, we're glad there's a stimulus bill that's coming from the federal government. But, you know, the work that you guys are doing to try to save all these state programs, um, the ones that are going to affect people immediately, um, yeah. that's stuff that people don't always get to pay attention to for obvious reasons. <laughs> You know, yeah. <laughs> people are going to be people. Um, uh, and something else that, that's been brought up, I, I, I saw you uh, on social media post about uh, Governor Hutchinson making a statement about the absentee uh, mm -hmm. ballots. Um, and, I, you know, you've been a great advocate for it. Uh, maybe you could give us your take on, on that whole issue. Yeah. So obviously there's a pandemic. Everybody's being told to stay home, uh, practice social distancing. Uh, but it's an election year and hopefully this is far behind us by the time we get to november but we don't know where we'll be and we want voters to know that they'll be able to, to vote safely and so um the governor some people probably weren't paying attention uh there were we had a primary on march 3rd right mm -hmm. and there were a few uh, elections on march 3rd that ended up in runoffs that were settled on march 31st so by that point we're about two and a half three weeks into the pandemic so the governor kind of quietly um use an executive order to make no excuse absentee voting an option, which meant that you didn't have to have one of the three accepted reasons uh, to request an absentee ballot. Um, 33 states allow no excuse absentee uh, voting. We are one of just 17 that don't, and of those, we are the most restrictive. You have to either be uh, physically unable to visit your polling place, you have to be overseas, or you have to be a resident of a long-term care facility to, to normally be able to request an absentee ballot. But the governor did this, it was the right thing to do. And so Senator Joyce Elliott and I decided that we should probably try to lock this in place for November. And so we attempted to do that during the fiscal session. She presented the bill. Um, our own uh, Representative Nicole Clowney and Representative David Whitaker here in Fayetteville were also co-sponsors on that, as were a couple of legislators from elsewhere in the state. Um, and you know, we thought this makes perfect sense. The governor's already done it. Who's gonna be opposed to this? There was Republican support. Uh, Republican uh, Representative Jim Dotson from Bentonville, to his credit, was trying to do something very similar to what we were trying to do, uh, but it got voted down uh, pretty handily, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, but that same day, that night, Governor Hutchinson went on TV to do a town hall and was asked about no excuse absentee voting, and he said if uh, it's necessary, he will absolutely make sure that that's an option in November, uh, which we think is uh, uh, very important, and, yeah. and credit to the governor for doing that. It, Go ahead, everyone. Okay. <laughs> uh, besides, besides that, um, looking forward, looking in the future, Greg, what what bill um, draws your attention as as a bill that you would like to possibly author a co-sponsor in the future that hasn't been really hasn't really been successful in the past? Like, if you had one bill that is important to you, and I know there's been plenty, and I know people reach yeah. out all the time, and everybody's issues matter, but if yeah. there's one bill that you could pass. Uh, today, what would that be? Landlord-tenant. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> it, it is very difficult to pick. There are so many things that I want to see done. And, you know, you, you come into office and you've got this long list, like paid family leave. You know, we're going we're gonna to stop wage theft. We're going to do all these things. And the longer you're in the process, not to sound discouraging or pessimistic, but you realize just how hard it is to get anything meaningful done. 
And so eventually you're like, well, if I can get this one thing passed before I'm done here, that'll be huge. And uh, renters' rights is incredibly important. We are literally the worst state for renters in the country. Uh, we're the only state with a criminal eviction statute. We're the only uh, state without a warranty of habitability, which essentially means that there are no safety standards. As long as you're willing to pay a landlord money to live in a space, it's considered habitable, uh, regardless of whether it has running water or a hole in the roof or, or whatever. Uh, I first got involved in that in 2013. Uh, it was a bipartisan effort then. There was a Republican senator who was the lead. I was the House sponsor. Didn't have the votes to get it out of committee. I carried the bill in 2015, couldn't get it out of committee. Um, uh, Representative Warwick Sabin, former Representative Warwick Sabin in Little Rock, he took the lead in 2017. This time it was Republican from Paragold, Arkansas, Representative Jimmy Gasaway. Just can't ever get this legislation out of committee. And mm -hmm. a lot of people think it's landlords who are blocking it. And, and there are some who would rather not see anything pass. But landlords have generally, even if they've been uh, skeptical, they've been generally supportive of some very modest reforms. It's the realtors, it's the Arkansas Realtors Association that uh, has always worked successfully to block this legislation. But 34% of homes in Arkansas are renter households. It's more than a third of the state. Um, and when you, you know, literally are the worst state for renters, I just think that there's, there are a few things we could do in Little Rock that would benefit more people uh, at one time than being able to pass some meaningful reforms. Yeah, fantastic. Well, yeah, Greg, thank you. Thank one you last question that. before we uh, let you get out of here and we get out of your hair. Uh, what, what's, a, what's a guilty pleasure What's uh, for food or a snack that you've had while you've been in self-isolation? Uh, we Casseroles. love to sit around a, a pardon? Casseroles? <laughs> haven't made any casseroles. Haven't made any casseroles. What's your thing? Um, we, we've done quite a bit of baking though. There's been like a lot of cakes and brownies uh, that we've done here at the house. We also, we like to sit out, uh, build a little fire in the fire pit in the backyard. Um, just maybe been a little bit of uh, a beer, uh, the occasional <laughs> glass of bourbon, that's about it. Yeah. Uh, I do have a big sweet tooth though. So it's mainly been just cakes and that kind of thing, brownies. Mm -hmm. I, I think we've all had an extra sweet tooth uh, during this time. Yeah. So nobody's yeah. going to judge you by any means. Definitely. Uh, but yeah, Senator Lighting, thank you so much for, for jumping you. on the, the show with us. Um, you know, we value your time and, and all the work that you've been doing for us. So yeah, we very much appreciate you coming on. And we yeah. know that you have been one of the most easy uh, to access uh, representatives just in general in our state. So we really appreciate that. We also appreciate um, like everything you do on social media, you know, to inform people and to give people access to uh, what your job is and what you do. And I see that a lot on Instagram. You do that a lot more than I think any other uh, person in elected office in Arkansas. So we really appreciate that. And uh, thank you for making time for episode 38 of the District 3 podcast. And we would like to invite you back soon. Absolutely. I appreciate the invitation. This has been great. Um, yeah, I, I do try to stay active on social media. The things that a Democratic lawmaker can do right now in the Arkansas legislature are limited in number. So yeah, trying to keep people engaged and informed is, is one way I'm trying to just help. So I'm well, glad you appreciate it. Thank you. No, thank you. And uh, that's it. That's the episode for this week, episode 38 of the District 3 podcast. Make sure you tune in next week. Uh, we don't know who will be a guest next week, but I'm pretty sure it'll be great. It'll be fun. But thank you for tuning in. Peace. Bye.